Hi, I'm Michael Hutchins from an excess. Thank you very much for coming backstage with Access All Areas, okay? Hope you have a good time. Welcome to your Nexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Nexos nerd Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in Excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Well, hello, welcome to Excess Access All Areas, episode 141, the podcast that aims to dive deep into all things great about this legendary band. Still with my compadre B, a bunch of listeners and patrons, and also regular listeners around the world. Hello, B. How are you? How's your week off been? My week off was great. I'm very much um, a lot better. How are you today? Very good. Very good. We uh, look. I guess the listeners got a chance to gluttonize over two elegantly wasted side one and side two episodes. Uh, over over 1,100 downloads, which is pretty exciting for people to revel in our deep dive discussion on the two sides of the album. We're a bit old school, B, side one, side two, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I want to say hello to all the new listeners. I could see there was a lot of new listenership coming through. So hello, and uh, myself and the girls were very busy still getting lots of posts out, and I can see that you all enjoyed those. How good was Genevieve's video last week as well of Elegantly very Wasted? Good. It was very, very good, very good. She's the new Richard Lowenstein, isn't she? She is, she is. Although saying that, Carrie Ann? And it's Carrie Anne's birthday today, so happy birthday to Carrie Anne, our, our beautiful duchy. This is the third time we've called out her for a happy birthday. Is it? Why? Yeah, in three years. We've been, we've oh, been doing this three years, years now. I was going to say, <laughs> probably call you out again in a, in a moment. Yes. Um, but Carrie yes. Anne has also done a, a lovely video for the patrons, and so we'll be putting that because she's actually put together a compilation of all the B-sides from In Excess. So that's going to go out to all our new patrons. Wow. Can we get that one too? Can we get one too? We can. We'll look. We will. Don't you worry. But we'll, <laughs> we'll right. tell cool. you... Um, Prompt me again later in the rap, Hayden, about other things yeah, yeah. that Carrie Ann might be able to give to the new patrons too and old. All right. Fantastic. Also, too, a little bit of news before I go into asking about your NXS week. Thank you to, I think it might be Laurie, copying the John Stewart article or interview with Michael uh, up from 97. Uh, I think she was taken back uh, when I mentioned that Michael was on that show with uh, with John at the time. Okay. And, um, I think, uh, as my memory served correctly, B, he did uh, have no shoes on during that interview. He, Is that right? No, he didn't. That's right. That's very <laughs> correct. But it was a really handy interview and probably one of the more unique ones with Michael about the lyrics and about the album and about uh, just where he was at that time. And he was in good spirits. P- a pity it didn't last, obviously. Um, but uh, thanks for Laurie for finding that and putting that up. And I hope people, if you haven't sort of seen that yet, it's a great little uh, time and space of Michael in that period about elegantly wasted. Yeah, very good. Thank you, um, Laurie. I think she must have fancied John. What do you reckon? <laughs> She's got a thing for John's. Well, <laughs> hey, well, you know, Laurie won't always say this, but John's a good old lefty from way back uh, and smart and good looking, so he probably ticks all the boxes, Laurie. <laughs> Not Laurie Lightfoot, that is. But how has your in excess 
fortnight been? Uh, what's come across your desk? You must have a, a couple of weeks of uh, info. I know you said something before we went on to record about uh, Neil Kossar. Yes, I've heard a lot from Neil lately and um, a lot of our fans and friends have um, already submitted their um, in excess stories. Now, Hayden, you didn't want to um, put your story in, but Neil actually wants us to do a story about how we met um, because you know, we've only got so many listeners, so um, I'm for sure there'll be thousands reading this book and, and might even find us. So if you find us in retrospect from reading the book now, that would be pretty awesome. I want to say hi. I feel like I'm in a uh, Back to the Future time yeah, now. We're talking exactly. about, we're probably talking, we're talking about things in the future, yeah. people discovering this conversation right here and now. Oh, no. Which, uh, which is <laughs> pretty how cool, people find stuff, it? which is 100%, 100%. You know what's been interesting about Elegantly Wasted is actually all the feedback over the last couple of weeks of people who didn't always give time to the album at the time but have gone back and listened to it now without prejudice. Yeah. Have you found that with a lot of the exchange and information? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are saying, wow, you know, I didn't know that this um, song was on there and they've opened it up. And it'd be really cool if someone from management could tell us if there's been um, a surge on this album being bought on iTunes, actually, because I feel there may be. Um, but, we hope. But yeah, yeah, but just looking at over the socials, it's opened it up that a lot of this, um, the girls and the boys that are on the socials have actually been uploading a lot of footage from the album as well, be it interviews or photographs and videos. All right, B, so tell me about your initial fortnight. I've rested. It's been rather nice. Um, I don't know. I haven't really, really um, done too much with anybody. No, I haven't got anything in excess, but I am very much looking forward to, and it's probably already been aired now, so I'd like to see what everyone's reactions are to the new Paula Yates documentary that's been aired in um, in the UK. I'm sure that's going to set off a lot of conversation for the following weeks wow. ahead. Mm. I must say I'm not looking forward to that one, but, uh, you know, uh, because of that occurring, but... Uh, um, she's a, a figure that deserves her own doco and book and all that sort of stuff. But uh, you're right; it's probably going to probably be more inflammatory than it is going to be nice, you know. Are you ready, boots? So yes, we've actually started some new enhancers. I hope you've all enjoyed them, but it does take me a little bit longer. So Hayden and I, I have decided that we're going to only be putting three episodes out a week now. So I hope you can enjoy them. They're going to be like super cool though. So there you go. Three episodes out a week only? Yeah, a week. <laughs> a week. A, a month, week. I meant. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like that. And I think it's um, a good point to actually make as well that it's International Women's Day today too. At the time of recording, it is. It is. It is it International is. Women's Day. Yeah. yeah. And I got speaking to a guy about it and he says, oh, it's just a publicity thing and blah, blah, blah. And I went, well, actually it might be. But from a woman's point of view, today I was in the car and I was listening to the radio and a woman said in Melbourne, out of all the statues, there are only two that are women. And that has really struck with me. Well, congratulations, International Women's Day. Uh, Australia definitely and the UK <laughs> produced its fair share of famous female vocalists, both in bands and obviously individually. Uh, names like Chrissy Amphlett from the Divinals B, uh, probably one of the most significant ladies out of Australia as a female sort of singer. 
Uh, and a lady that I like to think she's from the UK, even though she's from Ohio, but that's Chrissy Hine from uh, uh, The Pretenders, who really built her career in the UK. Uh, a great sort of uh, example for, for women and uh, still a flag bearer there in what she does, Pete. Yeah, awesome. And there's a new um, documentary series that's come out onto um, the TV. I do recommend it. And it's Women in Rock. And it started okay. off with um, black women in America. And just like, amazing. This woman just looks like some like little old lady with her furry coat on and a guitar and she's rocking out it was amazing yeah. to watch and yeah it's going through the years and women's rights and how music has progressed through the years so it's pretty awesome yeah i recommend it for everybody to watch it's something he can't see i wonder what's wrong with me Very, very uh, special guest, a gentleman called Mike Plotnikoff. Uh, I have been practicing that over the last seven days Me too. to get that right. Yes, <laughs> and uh, look, he's he's a famous, uh, uh, was American Canadian producer and record engineer and sound engineer who's moved out to LA and he's going to be coming on soon talking about Elegantly Wasted. He was there at the time, right on the cutting room floor of what went on. Fantastic insights uh, that we know about. And he was on the floor to, to share it. <laughs> <laughs> cutting room floor, <laughs> cutting room floor. No, I'm joking. Okay, well, who knows with Michael anyway, but uh, he was definitely there when it all happened. And um, uh, while I get a chance, uh, before I forget, I want to do a quick thank you to Andrew Lambie, who's been a, a really good uh, fan engager. He did send us a lot of really cool links about this album, B. Oh. There's actually a really uh, YouTube called In Excess Demos 9596. It goes through all the demos of Elegantly Waste. Uh, it actually has some songs that a lot of fans won't know about, like Get It Right, another song called Tuesday Weld, Nothing's Free, Hanging On, Don't Need You, and Coming Up. These are some outtake songs that are, again, part of uh, that YouTube sort of pop-up file. Uh, but Andrew did sort of uh, steer us towards that, plus a couple of other Elegantly Wasted interview stuff uh, that we might put snippets on over the next few weeks. So thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. That's been cool. Thank you. But we don't stuff around with news or anything now. We're going to get straight into our guest because we've got the guest we mentioned before is going to be coming on. Let's do a big musical intro to him and then we'll go through his uh, CV in a moment. And what's it time for, Hayden? Time for the topic of the week. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. This is Ella from Middleburg, the Netherlands. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and B. And now it's time for the topic of the week. Yeah, we're going to go over to uh, Mike in a moment, but B, we should do a very special background on Mike. Mike uh, originally started with the very, very famous Bruce Fairbairn in Canada uh, back in sort of the late 80s. And uh, Bruce is very well known for his work with ACDC, uh, his work obviously with uh, bands like Bon Jovi, um, you know, Brian Adams, a whole lot of people in that particular sort of vintage there. And you know, as a young uh, sound engineer and recording engineer, 
Mike was a, uh, really there to learn a lot from Bruce. And Bruce unfortunately passed away rather suddenly in the late 90s and led Mike to sort of reevaluate his career. And he ended up moving down to LA and working with a whole bunch of artists, ranging from, you know, Kelly Clarkson uh, all the way through to, you know, a lot of uh, uh, bands like Daughtry and, and, and many other sort of illuminary bands that we will no doubt talk about throughout the show. But uh, we are very, very excited to have him in all the way live via satellite. Uh, from his LA recording studios. It's still big welcome to Mike Plotnikoff. Hi, I'm Mike Plotnikoff. I was a recording engineer on In Excess, Elegantly Wasted. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and B. I'd like to welcome to the podcast in excess access all areas. And for the sake of my poor English, could you pronounce uh, the best way of saying your surname? My last name is Plotnikov. It's Russian. Yeah, ex- excellent. And I guess that goes back to your parents or grandparents, I guess, originally? My grandparents came over from Russia in the early 1900s. Then my parents were born in, in Canada and I was born in Canada and been yeah. in Los Angeles for... 23 years now. Look, obviously, uh, we're an NXS podcast. Uh, we uh, have dedicated the last sort of two and a half years or nearly three years to sort of putting together an anthology on the band and gone back to their early days all the way through to, well, at the moment, elegantly wasted. So we are uh, 1977 to 97 on that sort of window cycle. And uh, Sam Evans uh, from their management uh, was very, very endorsing of you and said you should get on to, to Mike. Yes. Obviously, unfortunately, Bruce is no longer with us. Yeah, Bruce was like, that's who I came up under. So, you know, started working with Bruce in 1990 and, you know, right up to the passing in 1999, we passed during the uh, Yes record. Bruce, uh, I guess, uh, was quite responsible for uh, probably Aerosmith's comeback, really, wasn't he? I think there was probably a significant band on his resume in the early days. Absolutely, yeah, because he came back, did Permanent Vacation, and then Pump and Get a Grip. But that was the second big record I worked with him on. I did the first big record was ACDC, the live record at Donington was when I really started working with Bruce, and then did Aerosmith Get a Grip and Van Halen and Cranberries, and then In Excess came after that. We, uh, we've we been fortunate enough to get to know uh, Mark Opitz, who uh, did five of In Excess's albums. Uh, he's just done a reissue of Shabu Shabar for In Excess based on the, uh, the Gus Festival in 83 that Steve Wozniak put together in LA. Okay. And it was one where it was probably In Excess's first uh, big outdoor festival concert, uh, uh, California. And he literally had to go back through all the old masters and sort of put the vocals uh, and all the different tracks together and remaster it all for a live setting. So it was sort of in unison with 40 years since uh, Shabu Shabar. And it was quite a seminal gig. You probably know about it, but obviously I think they were on the day that U2 and the Divinals, a lot of the sort of the new wave bands, so to speak, were playing. And then on, yep. I think that was the Friday, then the Saturday there was uh, Judas Priest and a lot of the sort of the heavier bands and I think the Sunday might have been uh, The Clash and others there. Yeah, I guess the Donington one for uh, ACDs, I do remember buying that actually, ironically. It must have been a great experience yeah. being able to work with uh, the tools of ACDC. Oh yeah, it was, it was amazing and it was like really my first really big record working with Bruce and with, with you know, really big artists coming through and I was quite young at the time so yeah. it was 
nerve wracking at the time. It, it was great working with those guys. And, you know, they came in the studio. So we, we you know, obviously fixed up stuff in the studio on the record. And we yeah. had to go through, you know, dozens and dozens of, t- of tapes to find the best takes and to, you know, to put it together. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. And that was really the first big record I did with Bruce. And it'd be a lot, a lot of pressure with ACDC to try to get that live oh, yeah. sound coming through, I guess. That's the thing too, because I remember we had to fix up some, you know, like we, we kept a lot of the stuff live, but you know, like all of Angus's uh, lead guitar solos were kept, but there was some stuff we had to fix, you know, like rhythm guitars, either there was a problem with the mic or, you know, some out of tune stuff, you know, that we went back in and fixed and yeah, just to mash the sound because most bands you come in and you kind of create a sound in the studio, but ACDC have their sound. So you have to get their sound. There's no... I'll just create something here and it'll be cool. It'll be, you know, it, you know, it'll be artistic. No, not with ACDC. So that was the pressure you had to be under is that you had to create exactly, you know, they know their sound and it has to be exact. So what a family you've got older brother, George, and uh, what he did with the easy beats and Vander and young and, uh, and then the two younger brothers, you know, in Malcolm and, and Angus, you know, what a, what a family. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm amazing. Super talented. And it's, yeah, just such a, such a dynasty. Yeah. But I'll throw to you. I've gone out with my opening questions. Do you want to throw some of your way? It's just fun that um, there was that crossover with you, with Marco Pitts, with um, ACDC as well as In Excess as well, wasn't it really? So going to In Excess, how did that happen? Did you have to fly to, uh, I think they did it in New York and in Spain? Was you part of that? No, okay. So they started recording the record. I don't, I don't really know the beginning of it, but... What I know is, I guess they might have they might have started the record, and then for whatever reason, they contacted Bruce and wanted Bruce to finish the record. So they shipped everything that they had recorded already. So there was some stuff already recorded. So they flew up to Vancouver, and we spent probably we redid all the drums. We kept some of Andrew's keyboards and stuff, but Andrew redid a lot of the guitar parts and keyboards. So we just went in it as a normal record, but basically all the drums were recorded. Spent maybe a couple months in Vancouver recording. And then Michael decided he wanted to be, for inspiration, wanted to do his vocals in Spain. So we, we rented a house in Marbella overlooking the Mediterranean. So we all went down to uh, Spain to do all the vocals and probably spent like around 30 days in Marbella, did vocals and some extra overdubs and keyboards and stuff. But yeah, most of the record was done in Vancouver. Tom Lord Algae ended up mixing the record. Yeah. Yeah. Bruce had said, and look, we, we really, obviously, unfortunately, we don't have Bruce with us, but he did a really good deep dive, I think, with one of the publications and said Michael came in very, very prepared with his lyrics and, uh, yeah. you know, was quite honed by the time he made it into the the recording side. Uh, is that a memory Absol- for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I remember just work, working with them and, yeah, not only prepared, but just how really musical they were. I knew in excess, but I listened to a different type of genre of music at the time. But when they came in and actually working with them and just you know, to witness what great players they all were from John to Andrew, Michael, all of them, the whole band was, they were just such great musicians and the songs were so good. I thought at the time, you know, I was just going, wow, this is really, it was really fun working with them. And Michael was such a rock star too. when he came in and, you know, he was just, I go, yeah, he's like a rock star. Like when he (laughs) showed up, he showed up at the studio like a rock star and it was, it was a lot of fun doing vocals and he could just deliver and bring the vocals and the emotion and everything to all the lyrics. And 
you just believed every word he said. And yeah. So how long was that? What was the time frame over in um, Vancouver with um, with Michael? Vancouver, I, I would say it was probably like somewhere between six to eight weeks in Vancouver. And what's that in like um, sand engineering land? Is that a long time or uh, short time? No, in, in, the, in that period of time, that was probably a short time because we were in an ad hoc <laughs> day. So we're in digital now. We're all in Pro Tools and digital. So records are a lot quicker to make if they have them because yeah. you could just, you know, move stuff around so easy. Back in the analog days, everything took so long to do. Uh, now it's, it's it's so easy, but back then, yeah, it, it was. I would say it was fairly quick, and just because they were so prepared and they had a lot of the stuff already recorded that they did elsewhere, so we were working off already stuff that they had done. So it wasn't really uh, starting from scratch with them. We were using a lot of parts they they had done already. I heard that they used a lot of the demos yeah, straight away. Yeah, a lot away. of the demos, yeah. whatever they used. So I remember when they sent the tapes, uh, Bruce and I spent a week actually up at Brian Adams' house because Brian Adams had a studio in his house. Well, Bruce's studio at the time didn't have a, a digital tape machine, which was a Sony 3348 tape machine. And Brian Adams was the only one in town and he had it up as his, at his house. Uh, we, Bruce and I had to go through all their demos and, and pick what we were going to use, what we were going to redo and going through all the all their digital tapes at that time. When Bruce figured out what we were gonna use from the demos and what parts we were gonna use from the demos, then the band came out and we started tracking. Bruce has said that in some interviews that he's probably not the technical guy. He sort of seemed to delegate reasonably well to you. Would that be a fair comment? Uh, yeah, Bruce was very a musical guy. He wasn't technical at all. He, all Bruce was was there to get the right performance, the right arrangement. You know, he was really good at that. Helped the band write with the parts, you know, this, you know, with the bridges and choruses, make sure all the melodies were correct. So Bruce was really a song guy, not a technical guy. And, you know, he left all that up to me. Good partnership then. Yeah, it was a good partnership. Yeah, we worked well together. With his passing, did that sort of prompt you to look at your life and sort of say, hey, look, you know, maybe I can go down a, a production pathway, move to LA? Was it, did that stimulate a little bit of some, a, a reevaluation a bit for you? Oh, oh, absolutely. Because for 10 years, I worked with Bruce. And because Bruce was such a big producer, he was guaranteed three records a year. We were guaranteed three big records a year. Or that's what he chose to take. You know, yes. we'd. Basically, we'd start in September and we'd work till June and he would always take the summer off. So we never worked the summer. He would always go to his summer cottage on Vancouver Island and then we'd come back and there would be another big record starting in September, you know, when they went back to school. So we were both managed by Bruce Allen and there was nothing really I had to do. I just had to show up. I didn't have to go out and work or hustle for work. And because I started young, I just thought, oh, that's just the way the music business works. You know, there's just always going to be work for me. So when Bruce passed, first of all, it was like a huge shock. Nobody expected it. He was very young when he went. Bruce got all the work. I wasn't the producer. I was just Bruce's engineer. Even though I had all these big records with Bruce under my belt, nobody was really looking at me. 
And yeah, so the next year was, it was worrisome for me because I wasn't getting the work I, I was getting. I wasn't getting the big projects, the, you know, the superstar bands, superstar acts. It happened that a, a friend of mine, uh, Reese Fulber, he's an artist. He's, he has a few projects, a, a band called Frontline Assembly and Delirium. And he's a really good programmer. And Bruce Fairburn ended up using him on on a Yes record doing some programming. And, and also Reese has produced all the early Fear Factory records, which is a heavy band. And it happened that Josh Groban was doing a record with David Foster at the time. And one of the songs that Reese and I did for Delirium blew up around the world and Sarah McLaughlin ended up singing on it. It's a great dance song. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, Delirium. And, it, you know, it was called Silence. Did it? And yeah. So I, I ended up mixing that record. So David Foster really liked that in Josh Groban. So he wanted two songs on the Josh Groban record to kind of emulate that. And so I ended up coming to LA with Reese just to work on two songs at David Foster's. And then after that, Fear Factory, we were going to do another record. So Reese goes, well, why don't you do the Fear Factory record with me, even though I've never done a Fear Factory record before. Ended up doing that and mixing that album down here in LA. And Reese's manager at the time was ma managing a producer named Howard Benson. And they really liked the way the Fear Factory record sounded. So I had a meeting with Howard and Howard and I got along. And uh, so Howard tried me out for a record that he was producing in Los Angeles. So I flew to LA and did it and ended up, you know, kind of like the same partnership I had with Bruce where Howard's not a technical guy, but he's a song guy and he needed a good engineer and somebody technical. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And so I ended up doing that. And then Howard and I went on like all through the 2000s to do a lot of, you know, big hit records. And then, you know, and then from basically, you know, Howard and I still work together and we actually started another record. Howard now has his own record company which he formed called Judge and Jury Records. And uh, he just had a number one hit with a band called Star Set. With that, just the, the song was number one on rock radio just two weeks ago. Oh, wow. So yeah, so it's just kind of when, and now I'm doing more producing. So I still kind of do everything. I still engineer, mix, and produce. So I still kind of wear all the three hats. I'm not just one. I'm a little bit of jack of all trades at all <laughs> them, but. Where did you feel more comfortable though? My forte is engineering and, and mixing. Like engineering is like I could do it with my eyes closed, you know, and in, in my sleep. That's my forte. So that's what I do really well. That's really easy to me. Mixing is probably second. I love mixing. Uh, mixing is more of a challenge just because it's the last thing on the record. And, you know, everybody, that's where, where all the fear and doubt and uncertainty come into the record is in the mixing. So. Mm -hmm. So it's really a hard, hard stage. I like producing, but as a producer, I really need a band to have all the songs and know what they're doing. Unlike, you know, somebody like Bruce or Howard Benson, where they could walk in and a band could have parts of songs and they could put it together and write a bridge for them. I, I'm, I'm, that's not my thing. Um, so damn. producing is good for me. If the bands have all the songs written, I could come in here and just keep it together and produce the album, make sure, you know, it's delivered. Huh. Yes. And as a producer, that's more, I could do that. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the, the state of rock and roll in 2023. I mean, it doesn't feel like the uh, emergence of bands, whether they're being supported or whether there's uh, uh, a new sort of runway of artists. I mean, it, we feel like we're in about a seven to 10 year gap now where there's no hero that we can sort of champion, you know? 
No, there's not. And it's, it, it's like rock has really been put into, into like what they think rock is now is Billie Eilish, Damn. which is, which is pop. So Damn. the rock bands of before, I just don't know. I don't know where it's going. And it seems like the, the rock bands that are out now are all more underground metal. And that's where the niche is. And there's no really rock bands like the Aerosmiths or the Inexcesses or the ACDCs or the U2s. Yeah. They're just not around anymore. Maybe they, I don't know. I, I just don't have an answer for that. Right. I, I just know where rock is now, what I'm doing is it's really gone underground and into the metal scene. And everything is very, like everybody's tuned super low and it's all, you know, kind of stuff. And that's where rock is right now. And, yeah, they're, they're, and and it's just I don't know. It's just not supported. I'm not sure if it's just because of the social media where we're at in the digital age. I, I'm not sure. You know, obviously the rock stars like the Molly Crews and ACDCs and all them, they'll still be around and are, are still going to have that. But as far as somebody new coming out like that, I just don't know right now. I yeah, just don't. it seems like the bands really are, and most of them are sort of heritage sort of touring acts now as opposed to sort of to getting the uh, support for vibrant new albums and, and having an audience prepared to listen. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. And again, like I, the metal scene is strong and I would call it new metal or modern rock, you know, where the Papa Roaches and the Three Days Graces and those kind of bands live, Darling. you know, on the Octane radio. There's still there's still a market, but again, it, it's a niche market. It's I think it's what I call closed. They have their audience, and they're are they bringing new people in? And is it going to be all this new people coming over there? I don't know right now. I don't see I don't see it. But I, you know, you never know what's going to happen. But like the bands like that are like really straight ahead rock, like what we used to call rock, where it was Aerosmith and In Excess and the Van Halens and all those kind of rock. There's just, that's just not around right now. And I'm not sure if it's because of technology. It's, I don't have an answer. Yeah. Have you heard of a band called The Vans? No. Okay. You should listen out for them. They're an Aussie band. They're pretty rock and roll and they're coming up. Yeah. I mean, COVID's hit a lot of people crossing over to different yeah. countries. But yeah, listen out for them. They're pretty cool. The Vans? Um, V-A-N-N-S. Yeah. Okay. And that band Manscape, I guess they're kind of rock. I would say they would, you know, they're kind of like, you know, have that in excess kind of flair. Yeah. We're not the only ones who for the love that's lost. producer slash engineer uh, you've evolved I guess with, with different genres ranging I think from Kelly Clarkson it must have been great working with Chris Chris Cornell I believe is that right uh, on some of his stuff yeah Chris Cornell a lot of our listeners probably you know whether it's a simple plan or Daughtry or you know Chris Cornell or Van Halen um, even Hollywood Vampires I think that you know, Johnny Depp and Alice and yeah yeah I uh, Steve Perry, uh, not Steve Perry, the uh, Joe Perry. But as you know, it's still like kind of the rock. It's the old 
rock. So I'm kind of still in that vein, just coming from the '90s. So those bands still want that. So I I do get a lot of work from that kind of stuff. You know, they kind of want to. You know, they don't want to go super new school. A little bit of modern, yeah. So I work with. Yeah, we the last two weeks we've gone through and sort of done our review of uh, Elegantly Wasted on side one and two. So we're probably uh, be done our uh, deep dive on sort of a lot of the tracks. It may be permanently in the back of your mind, or maybe you've had to go back and just re-examine that album. Um, what's your sort of take away from what is now 26 years ago from memory? Uh, as far as how the records sound? Yeah, just any takeaways, you know, from the uh, engineering experience and things like that. Because I think for us, what we said is that, unfortunately for Michael, the uh, the hoopla in England and a lot of the paparazzi seemed to interfere with the uh, release of this album where, you know, critics were just too caught up with him and his life and didn't give the album a fair shake. Uh, we think it's a great album. We think the songs, if you measure it on a song-by-song basis, it's a really strong record. I guess for yourself, yeah, just your takeaways. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and like I said, I, re- I actually really loved working with those guys and I got along really well with all of them and it was like, it was a really fun project to do. I thought it was a really good record too when we finished it. Uh, obviously, it was a shock, you know, three months after the record came out, you know, the tragedy happened. I think probably what's really memorable for me was just, again, like I said, how talented the band was. I didn't expect that, especially from Andrew too, how talented Andrew was in the band. It was really eye-opening to see him and how much input he had in the record. Part of it is just Michael's you know, having that rock star attitude where like we're in Vancouver, but I need to be more inspired. So let's go to Spain and record the vocals. I thought that, to me, that's still really cool. It's, bands just today can't do that. Maybe you're like a yeah. Rolling Stones or an Aerosmith, but they're very yeah. far between. There's actually photos of that, I think, of him on the beach at Marbella. Yeah, I have photos. I have a bunch of great photos of Michael. I could email you guys some if you want. Oh, that would be oh, fantastic. That would be, be great. Yeah. 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 I'll send you some in the studio and some in Spain. I got a really cool one of, of Michael and, and Bruce doing background vocals in Spain in the vocal booth and Michael sitting in pajamas drinking wine. <laughs> <laughs> That's rock star, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got some really great photos. Yeah, it's totally rock star. So I have a lot of great photos. Yeah, so I just thought that was really cool that he was able to do that. Hey, let's go to Spain. I want to be more inspired. And we just all, okay. you just, no problem. Let's go. Like a band just today couldn't get away with it. And did you meet Tiger, his baby? No, no. I met his his wife was pregnant at the time because I know she was in Spain, so it might have been right before because she was like, I would say, eight months pregnant when we were in Spain. Okay, all right. Mike, you've probably dealt with male and female divas. Uh, the Australian and Canadian sensibility, we think uh, there's a bit of a camaraderie there. Did you find that sort of Aussie spirit and Canadian uh, Aussie connection uh, symbolic in the studio when you met the guys? They they seem quite down-to-earth guys, you know? 
Absolutely. And that's why we got along so good right off the top. Like we go out for dinner every night together. So like a lot of bands, like I'll go and work and you just go in the studio, you work with them all day and then you go home. But we actually created quite a strong bond and we'd even go out like after the studio and go have dinner together. And we actually hung out a lot, you know, on our off time, which is, you know, Man. rare. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. No, we got along and a lot of things in common and yeah, it was it was a really good vibe making the record. We we all had a really good time. It was a, it was a fun time. There was no bad moments during the record. Excellent. Did you see them in concert as well? I've never seen them in concert. Oh. I I know, I know, never seen them. And you never uh, seen it. Oh I, gosh. I, I had a chance. They were playing here in LA with I I don't know who was singing. Somebody was singing for them, but I I wasn't able to go see them. Yeah, I just not with Michael, obviously. And in excess to me is with Michael, you yeah. know, like it's just not the same. It, it, he, he was the guy, it was his voice, everything, his charisma. Yeah, his lyrics. You know? Mm. everything his lyrics, the way he delivered it. And that's why I said, even when he came in, and that's probably what Bruce said, how prepared he was. And just when he would go into, you know, he would be Michael, you come in and hang out. But then when he go into that vocal booth and step up to that mic, he could just deliver and you know the emotion and it's just like, oh, wow that's him and it's just rare that people have that and and when you're when you're part of that and, and in the room with somebody like that you just realize you go that's why they are who they are it's not an accident that they're here oh. like when you see that that you could turn that switch and walk in there and and you feel that like every word, every lyric, and he knows how he wants to deliver every lyric. So even though you have Bruce in there, who's an amazing producer, Michael knows exactly how he wants every lyric to be delivered. He knows exactly the emphasis he wants to put on it, whether he grabbed that emotion or he didn't grab that emotion. And yeah, for me, for me because I'm not a, a musician, you know, I could fiddle on guitar or whatever, you know, so, but I don't call myself a musician. You know, I'm, I'm an engineer, you know, mixer. B and I uh, referenced Michael's lyrics on this album. Michael was a bit more opaque on his lyrics on other albums, and and Andrew probably as well. And and uh, yet this album, you know, it was really a uh, almost semi autobiographical. The uh, yeah. the emotion what Michael was particularly going through. Yeah, absolutely. Elegant wasted says it all. You know. Yeah. I mean, he's, we always felt like his ability to phrase, uh, you know, Sinatra was a great vocal phraser, could really enunciate a lyric. We always felt that Michael's been underrated in that area that, you know, he uh, he could really uh, amp up a phrasing in a song and, and you're right, take an emotion into a lyric. And we think that this was his probably best album in doing that. Yeah. And, you know, even like his earlier albums, you know, they were fun. He just made them fun. If he was, you know, whatever it was, you know, he could make it sad or fun yeah. or whatever it was. You really knew how to deliver that. And that's what In Excess was.
uh, Canadian band experience. I, I, I follow on Facebook Randy Backman and uh, Burton Cummings a bit, and they're very, very famous for the Guess Who, and then Batman Turner Overdrive for Randy. Uh, they make some really interesting sort of parallels within Excess in the sense that being a Canadian band, and being a rock band particularly, and having to travel across the country in the snow was very, very akin to in Excess having to travel across Australia in the desert. Yeah. Uh, you would probably have a bit of a, a perspective on that, I guess, uh, how you know maybe Canadian bands making in America has always been a bit of a bridge very difficult for them. I know Inexcess had to just go to America and just drive and and turn up and play. Um, do you see that a bit similar for the Canadian band side of things? Absolutely, and especially in the wintertime when they, they have to go through dead of winter, you know, through the prairies and it's, you know, minus 40 degrees and they're in <laughs> northern Alberta or something and, and their car or trailer breaks down on the side of the road and they got to deal with it and you know and especially bands starting out like they might be going to a show with 30 people there and it's 40 below and they're broken down somewhere in the middle of the mountains uh, and, uh, it's, and it's blizzard condition so I hear those stories all the time but the ones that, that, that make it are the ones that, that do it they just do it constantly every year and they, they'll travel and they get bigger and bigger and bigger you know Nickelback is one of those bands that I know well and you know, everybody sees how big they were in two thousand in the two thousands, but nobody really realizes that from nineteen ninety to two thousand they were playing small little clubs back and forth across Canada and they would just, you know, go tour in their trailer and, you know, deal with the brutal winters of northern Canada, play to small clubs until they finally broke you know but it took him 10 years of doing that so yeah i heard that from a lot of canadian bands or even bands i work with now that are bigger bands you know they always go oh i gotta go you know we got a tour in canada and it's in the middle of winter and they know what it's like because they've been through it so they already have that P- ptsd of we got to go there and they don't know what's going to happen <laughs> you know, is a is a moose going to jump out in front of us you know, like in the middle of the night yeah. so that'd yeah. be scary <laughs> yeah exactly it's, it's 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 a really interesting point you make because it exists uh, formed in 77 but didn't release their first album towards the end of 1980s they had three years of touring across australia building up a fan base trialing different songs i mean they start off playing Miss Shapiro and, you know, uh, different, you know, I shot the sheriff, but amidst their own stuff. But they really honed their craft for three years. I think maybe when you were seeing them towards the end of their recording time and their just their skill and ability to arrange and I think I think Bruce might have given Andrew a co-credit on the production because he did come in with a fair bit of demo work uh, done already. Yeah. I guess you saw the band towards their, you know, uh, completed abilities. Yes, and probably because the people they worked with passed, you know, they learned a lot. And, yeah. and Andrew's talented, you know, probably learned a lot from that, you know, working with people like Chris Thomas and, you know, Bob Clinton and all the, you know, the earlier records they did, you know, because they worked with a lot of big producers earlier as well. Like Chris Thomas was, you know. Massive. Yeah, massive in Clear Mountain. You know, they brought in all that knowledge and all that experience. But yeah, they were very knowledgeable. They they knew how to make records. They weren't a, even like a lot of big bands that come in even back then. You know, they they still didn't have the studio part down. They were just you know they were a touring band even, but they weren't into the technical side. Andrew knew the technical side, so he is very technical as well. Those guys knew how to make a record. They could do it on their own almost. Most of them had their own studios, B, didn't they, I guess? Yeah, they yeah. All, they had their own studios. They knew, they knew how to make records. And back then, you know, now it's more common because of digital and Pro Tools and every band has Pro Tools and can make a record in their home. And 
it's just, you know, it's not, it's not like it used to be, you know, in the nineties and earlier where you needed a huge SSL console and a Neve and all this big room and multi-million dollar studio to go make a record. You don't need that now, but those guys back then knew how to come in and they could do it on their own back then. And to me, that was like, oh, this is like, I've never seen this before. <laughs> These guys were very talented. They, they knew what they wanted. They, they knew what the, what sounds they were going for too. They really knew. A lot of bands come in where, where we, like I said, we'll try, you know, like ACDC, they want one sound. You're not going to be in there and try to be all artistic and go, let's create this new sound that nobody's heard yeah, before. Yeah. And Excess were a little like that too, you know, they really knew what they wanted because Bruce and I did more, you know, it, it was more rock, you know, Bon Jovi-ish, Aerosmith, more that kind of, I wouldn't say hair metal, but that, you know, that genre yeah. of rock. So we're in Excess, we're definitely more on the pop side of a rock band, more pop rock. Mm. You wouldn't put in Excess in the category of Bon Jovi and Motley Crue nah. and ACDC and Alec and all that. They're, they were different. So coming in we really had to take that into consideration and and they were really good at guiding the ship especially andrew i would give him like a you know a lot of credit on on really knowing what he wanted but also he just knew how to how to make a record in the studio i remember learning a lot of stuff from andrew too oh really really yeah. we discussed the album over the last couple of weeks and one of our favorites was shape the tree and yeah. just how it conveyed that we felt like we were in the desert yeah. So um, kudos to you to um, create that. How did you come about helping to make it feel so dry? And uh, You know what? At the time, like you never know. And like I go back and listen to records I do and, and I don't know how it's done, <laughs> uh, how, how I do it. It just, it's, you know, it's that moment in time. And like, I, I always think like what's so great about record making. I think why we need records still, like everybody's going to singles and they make a single and blah, blah, blah. But one thing I think is is why we still need records is because I feel like a record is you're always creating that moment in time and every day is a different day. So whatever you bring to the studio, whatever everybody, every member in the band is going through, whatever is going on in the world around you, even though you may not know it, you're bringing that to the studio with you. So you create that time. So everything's a frequency. So you're sitting and, and that's what we're tuned to, you know? So we all tune to that. So whatever we're all feeling, we all have to get into tune with each other. We can't go in there and start arguing. Well, we can argue with each other. You know, that does happen over creative differences. But at some point, you have to make compromise and go, okay, you know what? We all need, music is harmony. We all have to harmonize together. So we have to figure out a way and put our differences aside, come together, harmonize, create and be all in tune and be comfortable but if we come in there and you know what i'm just gonna if i'm you know hypothetically if i'm just angry all day and i yeah i don't want to do this well the record's not going to be made i got to throw away whatever i'm going through that day and be just because i'm not in a good mood but these guys are all in great moods well i better get in a good mood too and so you're creating that moment in time and when you make a record over a period of time and you're going into the studio every day you're creating those frequencies of that time, whatever the energy is in the air going around the world. And I think that's why, well, I don't think, I know that's why when you even put on a record, you know, that when you're young, you, it takes you right back to that point in time. You remember where you were because it goes, oh, 
That's yeah. the energy of that time. It's on the emotions. The emotions. Mm. You feel it. You could. You know exactly where you were when you first heard that song. You could. It. It gives you such a memory, and and that's why records do so. Again, like I'll make a record today, and I don't know what you know. I'm just in doing my job and what I think sounds good at the time, and then it'll be judged when it comes out, and it'll be judged ten and twenty years from now, whether whether it stands the test of time or it fades away. You don't know. Where has our innocence gone? Whispered and touch. Feels like we should start again. When does the skip begin? Summer taken, summer given. Building bridges, father living. Summer taken, summer given. There's nothing if the truth won't survive. personality and all the theatrics around a band and not the songs and that's not really a genuine review a review you know it's yeah. histrionics and it's just you know clickbait but what's been quite pleasing uh going through not just fan reviews but other been some articles here in australia doing a critical sort of re-evaluation of this album has been quite endorsing because maybe there's enough distance between michael's passing and the issues to just Judge the songs on its merits. Yeah. I think some feedback, you know, I guess on that has been very encouraging for both, I guess, B, hasn't it? Just reading some of the reviews where the songs are evaluated, not the personalities. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. In all of the music zines and um, publications around the world. Well, just a quick one. You mentioned about drum parts earlier about fixing some of those. Was that John involved with that? Uh, was that Andrew at the time? Uh, John. John played all his drums. All the drums were redone. John was a great drummer too. Super musical and he he uh, we had him on maybe three months ago and look as you probably you know know I mean for him he he was sort of a became a, a quite a prolific songwriter for the band later in their career. I mean he wrote Disappear and yeah you know which was a, the biggest hit off X and um, he he wrote uh, a lot of stuff with Michael you know when they lived together in Hong Kong and yeah. I know he's drumming and especially. His time signatures, I guess, with the drummings are just the standard 4-4. Four, four. I mean... They're not, and that made it so great, too. Like yeah. Again, like I said, the whole band was very talented. When I came in, they were probably, you know, one of the most... As far... Because I, I work mostly with rock bands, and it's fairly standard, the rock. But In Excess came in, it was all, yeah, weird time signatures. Or not weird, but just different time signatures. John's playing, and just the way he set up his drums, and the way he wanted the snare to sound was completely different than what I was used to. So it was, it was a really nice change and a, and a challenge, but really fun working with artists that really know what they're doing. Because then I don't have to concentrate on them. I could just focus on my job and everybody's doing their part. 
it's hard when you get artists that come in and you know maybe that they don't really know what they want so now you're going okay now i got to be a great engineer but i also have to help them get the song right but i also have Damn. not only that but i to get their sound right too you know because they don't even know what they want for a sound so now you're fishing a little bit so it makes it it makes it a lot more challenging but when everybody comes in and they know what they want and they want to do it makes it a lot of fun because now all i have to do is concentrate on my job i don't have to go into anybody else's lane and then if I do my job properly, nobody comes in my lane, and that's when you make a really good record. Well, Bruce, Bruce in the article, and I've got it in front of me here, you know, I think said the band were quite prepared. Um, I think if I could quote him for a moment, he said something along the lines of, they wanted a record that was going to be a commercial success, but they didn't want to do a bullshit pop record. Uh, so to me, that was fairly clear. Yeah. Then on another level, they really wanted to experiment with some different sounds, although they didn't want to redraw the playing field uh, in terms of recording. And look, they'd come off a couple of sort of uh, artistically quite successful albums. You know, a band has to be mindful of their fan base. And I think when we go back and look at these songs, they're 12 individual songs that um, classic in excess in the sense that there's ballads, there's some funky stuff, there's some rock stuff, there's some mystical Indian sort of experimental loopy stuff. You know, I think for where they were in the previous couple of albums, they sort of wanted to sort of remind themselves, you know, who are we, what are we, what do we want to be, but not just put out a, a bubblegum record, you know? And Bruce seemed to be sort of excited about that and I think equally was quite impressed, you know, just with their abilities as a band too, which made, makes, I guess, his job easier. Because I guess, and yeah. not to dismiss Aerosmith, but I guess Aerosmith really had to reach out to songwriters particularly as well, didn't they? They did. To help them, like uh, uh, Valance and a few others and things, you know? And But that's how it's always been, you know, they've always relied, they've always co-wrote with other people. And a and lot, lot of bands do that. They like to co-write. Uh, some bands don't. Uh, and yeah, In Excess just came in with all their own songs. I read somewhere it was one quite big record sales compared to some of their recent albums as well, and it went gold in Canada. Oh, it did? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Canada's been their most successful country in terms of singles and, and number one album, which probably says something about the Canadian sensibility, which is great. <laughs> but even, you know, with the you know later albums and earlier albums, they've always had very loyal sort of fan bases in, in Canada. Um, uh, what is the, I mean, speaking on their behalf, what is the average sort of Canadians uh, discerning with what they like versus just accepting what's there? Would that be fair? I know Australians are. Yeah, I think um, you have to impress the audience in Canada because I think because Canada have, uh, you know, where they play a lot of Canadian artists because it's part of the, the like in America, you could play whatever. You don't have to play so many certain American bands. Sure. In Canada, the radio has to play a certain percentage of Canadian artists. Yes. So it, it's harder for other bands around the world to break in because 25% is going to be taken up yeah. by... Canadian artists, no matter what, it could be anything, you know, it's just, it's, it's part of the rules. 
the government laid out. So to break through that is harder. So you got to be, I think, probably a, you know, I I don't want to say better. If that's I don't know if that's a you know the best word I could use. But I think to break through in Canada as an artist, it's a little harder where they're just not playing everything. We're the, yeah, we're the same quotas in Australia, which has probably lent itself to our musical output as a country. I mean, we're probably similar, similar population size, I think, uh, to you guys. We're only 30 million. I think you guys might be a bit more. but Yeah, we're 35. Yeah, we have quotas on the radio about local talent and local sort of uh, artists getting their you know, quotas met, uh, which does, again, mean that there's less for the overseas artists. Yeah. I guess with digital and YouTube and all those sort of things, there there's a lot of noise out there and other sort of uh, – ways you can get your content around but I guess yes I think Australia and Canada are quite similar in some of those processes you know yeah and I think probably like you said taste wise you know because we are very similar like political views I think and you know just the we you know I I don't know it's hard to say hard to get into politics (laughs) but I don't know well I think that we probably do have a lot in common Australia and because we're commonwealth countries right yes it just seems you know when I talk to people it's 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 different, you know, around the world. You have different tastes. Yeah, I agree that pro- probably Australia and Canada are very similar. And I think, you know, maybe being Commonwealth countries probably has something to do with it. We have a lot in common. ever listen to this album and you know what i uh, when i do records i don't listen to them after i do them <laughs> they come on the radio because every time i listen to stuff that i do i go oh, i could have did that better i should do that better oh yeah I know. every I get now that. and then i'll every now and then i'll put on something just to remind myself like what did i do back then how did i do yeah. that you must have a different lens or critical ear then yeah <laughs> yeah and you know like i said it's just a different part the world's spinning around the sun in a different part you know it's just a different day like every day you feel different and you don't know why some days you get that and because you're always experimenting with art you know and like sounds and eq you know even like if you take you know a record and and on a console if there's you have 24 tracks and just a quarter db on each each track is a little different that record's gonna have a completely different outcome Hey, this is Paul Jolly from Sydney, and this is The Big Rat. All right, well, uh, part one out of the way, B. Uh, really looking forward to diving further deep. Uh, what a what a great guest so far. Yeah, fantastic. Such great stories, such great stories. My favourite bit was, you know, just like hearing all the bands, out of all the top bands he's actually um, worked with, that In Excess was so prepared, so talented, and especially Andrew. You know, he even said the band could have really just done it all themselves. They had the right equipment in their own homes. Well, I think the word talent's a, a, an interesting thing. In a world where celebrity and, and uh, uh-huh. producers seem to sort of be 
overproducing artists and the artists seem to be almost like interchangeable. Uh, the word talent and, and and Michael's prep on his lyrics and Andrew's yeah. demos and John John's drumming, he was really taken aback by the level of proficiency of the band, which is a great reminder, you know, and again, another another criteria why they should be in the Rock Hall of Fame. Absolutely, absolutely. And the, the bit about Michael was our rock star. He turned up and he was just so prepared. And the fact that he said he could feel his presence for even if Michael was behind him. And how cool yeah. that he's actually going to give us some photographs as well, never seen before. Only us and his wife have seen them so far. I mean, these are the, the reasons we do this podcast is to do this sort of anthology in their career and put ourselves back into a time and a place where we weren't. You know, find there's a little archival sort of Easter egg nuggets that uh, suddenly come up. You know, we had that great photo of uh, Mr. Charles and uh, Michael and uh, Mark Opitz, didn't we, for Full Moon? And now we're going to be getting one with the recording and Michael uh, standing near the front of a, a Spanish view. Is that right? A beachside view yes. while he's re- singing? Well, this week's um, promo, if anyone ever gets onto Facebook or has a look at some of our um, photographs that we put onto um, our website, the photo that we've used there, and there's a couple of those, is of Michael with um, Bruce, actually, Um and Bruce is mentoring him to how to, um, you know, speak into the microphone that he wants for that particular track. And the backdrop has got a little curtain there. And yeah, you've got the view of Marbella in the background. I mean, imagine wow. being standing outside that balcony downstairs, eating your dinner and hearing Michael Hutchins sing. Wow. Maybe you're doing a double, double take, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, B, for the next week, I think we'll get into Allegly Waste Furley with Mike and can't wait. Yeah, yeah. What a cool guy. I and mean, he's just so relaxed and laid back. Yeah, so um, generous with his time there. And I loved the fact that he is just so creative. He was talking about the harmony of, a, of the band getting together. And, and it was really nice to hear. What's it time for? It's time for the news. <laughs> I'm John from California, and this is the news. All right, B, well, I've probably got the longest on that set of news because I noticed. I noticed. I'm just going to sit back and let you go. It's two weeks' worth, but I can fast track it, okay? I can speed read and speed talk. Just recently, about a week and a half ago at the time, Pretty in Pink soundtrack uh, of the movie and the and the soundtrack celebrated its 37th anniversary. Great soundtrack, B. Obviously, in excess, uh, come in on the opening credits, but it's also got OMD, uh, The Smiths, Psychedelic Furs. Uh, who had a song called Pretty in Pink, by the way. Uh, so that soundtrack and movie just celebrated its 37th uh, year release and great uh, to hear that uh, people still love buying it and listening to it. Also, a big shout out to one of our uh, patrons or listeners who uh, uh, time-coded us with a show called Outer Banks. Uh, there's a Never Tear Us Apart section on season three, episode four, at the 42-minute mark. You know, so, you know who that was? For- My daughter. It was your daughter. Okay, there you go. <laughs> right. Thank you. We get lots of correspondence, but thank you to Mila for the t- for the time coding. Yeah. So if you if you want to skip the series and just get to that point, you can do that. <laughs> um, also, too in Gig Watch, cool little gig this one, B. The U two and NXS story. Yes. It's actually playing on September one, my birthday. Yeah. It's in Wool and Gabba. Uh, which uh, will be really, really exciting. And uh, I've seen an NXS U2 gig show sort of before. It's two different bands playing the same night. Uh I assume this is the same thing. Also, too, there is a uh, band, I think, uh, in Seattle called uh, New Sensation, uh, a cover band there, which we may have mentioned before. They're playing a co-headlining 
gig uh, with uh, the Love Cats. I assume that's the QLB <laughs> uh, on the sixth of May uh, in Seattle at the High Dive. It's only fifteen bucks. Good night out. There's another one called oh, What's It Called? Devil Inside uh, tribute on the twenty uh, fifth and twenty sixth of March uh, in Colorado. So that'd be something very exciting to get to. Uh, I think they might also be co-headlining with White Snake, <laughs> uh, a cover band, a cover band called White's Bake. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, on a more prominent news, John Stevens has just finished all these Noiseworks tours, but he is actually joining Cindy Lauper and Rod Stewart on a national sort of tour of Australia. Oh, cool! Uh, in March and April. Mm. Yeah. So he's playing next week on uh, March seventeenth in Melbourne again, uh, and he's also playing in Brisbane on the twenty-sixth. Uh, as well, I think at the Trifford, and yeah, I guess there's sideshow gigs, which often are pretty cool when bands are playing. I happened to see Oasis many years ago doing a side gig uh, before a festival, and they did it at a very small venue in Melbourne uh-huh. that held about two thousand people and was packed and was fantastic. Yeah. So side gigs to bigger gigs are always cool. Yeah. Devil Inside video has been remastered, uh, and you can see it on the Inexus.com website. Uh, check it out, see if you like it, give us your feedback. Dogs in Space YouTube uh, YouTube clip. There is a lady, I think a producer, who's just put something out on YouTube about the making of Dogs in Space. I do know for our uh, US friends that we met uh, up in Sydney, uh, they love going to the Dogs in Space uh, venue in Melbourne every time they're here. So for those who want to know more about that movie and the making, uh, please do yourself a favour. Earlier, B, we talked a bit about the competition. Uh, Is March 10 cutoff? Uh, for the website, the Calling Nations book, because I know you posted something yesterday saying two weeks, but I had a feeling it was March 10, or is it, Mar- oh, is it March I 23rd? Didn't, I didn't post that then. That was me just re-putting it into our fan oh, thing. okay. No, that was, yeah. yeah, no, that was a while ago I did that. So, okay. yeah, so, okay. yeah, I think So you're- March 10 probably still in place, yeah. So yes. the time of this going out, it will have sort of finished. But uh-huh. uh, again, as you said earlier, it would be a fantastic book, uh, the couple of editions that are coming out. Yeah. Also in Melbourne, a uh, big shout out to an icon. Uh, it's been probably close to about six months since she passed, but they were finally able to put the memorial service together for Living Newton John yeah. here in Melbourne. Uh, she's one of, uh, again, think about International Women's Day, B, uh-huh. along with uh, Chrissy, Chrissy uh, and uh, Amphlet. Uh, probably Living Newton John's been Australia's most successful female uh, export, you know, in terms of music around the world. Um, and uh, look, sadly, lost her, her battle, long standing battle with breast cancer, but uh, a beautiful memorial in Melbourne. Lots of uh, people turned up. Her daughter flew in. Her husband flew flew in. It was on all the channels here. And if you can do sort of a favour in your respective region, I'm sure you can download it and watch it. But uh, what a sweetheart, hey? How beautiful was the speech from her husband? Yeah, oh, yeah, it was gorgeous. And he was, and he was dressed in a really sort of uh, in- interesting outfit too. I was like, oh, that's an interesting. But it's very to wear, spiritual, but, you know. isn't he? I just uh, yeah, they, yeah, they were very. You could see that she was a healer. Um, yeah. And her, her music healed people. Oh, bless her. That's right. Also, to a little bit of sad news, uh, RIP to Steve Mackay from Pulp B. Now, Pulp would have been a band that may have come across your wheelhouse yeah, yeah. back in your UK days. The, the bass player from there, he lost he lost a battle with an illness recently and uh, unfortunately passed away. Oh, dear. Uh, and, and Gary Rossington from Leonard Skinner. Now, talk about uh, Nine Lives. This guy was in the original plane accident with Leonard Skinner. Now, Leonard Skinner to the uh, southern band who are famous for Sweet Home Alabama, you know that mm-hmm. song? Yeah. And they had, a, they had a plane accident in the early 70s and they lost a, a lead singer and a couple of other, I think, maybe band members, but he survived. Oh. So he went on to play with the band the next 40, 50 years, wow. but uh, he just re- recently lost his battle. Oh. Uh, so big shout out to all the Leonard Skinner fans there. 
On a more positive note, big happy birthday to Dark Side of the Moon, B. Just turned 50. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So lots of great articles around the world there. Yeah. Uh, an- another big happy birthday to a friend of the podcast, uh, Richard Lowenstein, oh. first of March. So big shout out to him. And the very last little bit of news I wanted to sort of uh, give homage to was uh, I do have it on good authority from uh, from Jane Gazzo, the lady who did the uh, really uh, lovely interview with Ollie Olsen and put together the mm-hmm. foundation yeah. uh, to raise money. They had a goal of raising $15,000. They actually raised over $25,000. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, and he, unfortunately, is wheelchair banned uh, uh, bound uh, permanently there. Huh? So, uh, you know, he has a... a, a, a I guess a, a form of Parkinson's uh, there that's uh, sort of an autoimmune thing and really it's not in a great way, but I do know he's so stoked and happy with the level of support and it's making um, a, a large difference, difference to his welfare. So any of our fans and in excess fans who donated, big thank you. Yes. Uh, I'm sure Ollie's much appreciative. Yeah. But B, yes. that's the news of the week. Yeah, nice. Great. Really, uh, you talked really fast. That was pretty good because I saw the list <laughs> and I thought, how is he getting through this list? Um, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of cutting it in half. No, I thought, no, no, no. It's all time-coded, sensitive. Yeah, no, we'll throw pretty it out good. There. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah, big big hi to Ollie if you're listening. I hope um, we give you uh, a little bit of joy. Yeah, it must be awful to go through that. I've got a few things. Do you remember when you first met me? I used to run a I used to run a page called Hutch Nation. Yep. Yeah. Well, I had to sort of like give that over to the girls a little bit. I'll go in and out now again. It has just hit four thousand followers this week. So, uh, congratulations to all the team there. That's pretty big effort. Um, great that there's so many fans out there that are still enjoying the music and and wanting to be part. So what's the theme? What's the theme of Hutch Nation? Obviously, Hutch, my gosh, is it? Is there a theme or an angle there that differentiated a little bit, you know, with other type of um, equivalent fan sites that you like? You're proud of? Um, I suppose at first it was more about Michael and then, you know, we all got a bit more educated that it's not just about Michael, it's about the band and the, it was just about getting people together and, yeah, and having a bit of fun. I must admit, you know, going onto some of the NXS pages, you can get a little bit of backlash from people saying things. Damn. And so we decided that Hutch Nation was going to be a a place that you could feel safe and you can say whatever you like, really, to a degree, without getting yeah. blasted from people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. so we're all we're very kind to one another in Hutch Nation. And, yeah, and and you can say what you like if you love Michael, and yeah, that's fine. No one's going to say, "Oh, well, I like Michael more." You know, it's just it was just no, there's a yeah. bit of crap out there, and you don't need that. You know, we're all human at the end of the day. That brings me on to um, a, a new photograph of the whole band. Did did you get to see that, Michael? Uh, I'm calling I've you Michael. <laughs> Did you see that, Hayden? Uh, well, there's five of them there. That's post-Michael passing. Yeah. Is, is that right, I assume? Yeah. yeah. It's just the yeah. five of them and they're all hugging one another and I posted it. And then I got a lovely message from Matthew and it was on my on my personal page. And Matthew Marslin said, who is MM, um, I was there when that photo was taken in September 2001. It's backstage at um, Rod Laver Arena in Melbourne when the band performed at the grand final of the footy show. 
the photo shoot was to be used to promote Inexcess's Aria Hall of Fame induction a few days later. And then he sent a photo of himself with the band. That's so typical, M.M., uh, do some story insertion of himself. Uh, <laughs> I loved it. No. He's lovely. Yeah. So nice uh, to meet uh, him again the other day. He, he's he's the oracle of all things in excess. He trumps all of us. Um, yeah. Anything else on your side of the woods with Newsbeat? No, that was it. And shall we say happy birthday to Carrie Ann again? Happy birthday, Carrie Ann, my favourite duchy. <laughs> We're going to say it three times now. <laughs> happy birthday. You're listening to In Excess Access All Areas. You say it. <laughs> You're listening to In Excess Access All Areas. This is Carrie Ann, your favourite duchy. Over and out. Over to you girls, fan engagement. Well, it's me, B, and it's Danielle. Hey, hey, back in the house with B. Okay, what we got this week? Oh, my goodness. We have had some people this week. For the website sign-uppers, we have had Aaron the Amazing. Thank you, Aaron. Samantha McKay. Todd Cowles. Beatrice. I'm going to mess this up, but probably Studer. Ryan Pate. And someone named Splasher Kitty. So thank you, Splasher Kitty. We appreciate you signing up with nice us. Nice one that we're going into the feline um, <laughs> world now as well. So um, hello, welcome everybody to the podcast. Um, it's been great. So that's that's on our website that people have been signing. That's brilliant. I, I did see um, there's a few other people on different types of socials that we've got. I've been checking out the Instagram pages. There's a lovely lady on there that's been posting quite a lot, isn't there? What was her her name i think we've just been discussing her yes studio girl art on instagram uh-huh. apparently she was in the wardrobe department for the x tour and she has been posting amazing behind the scenes pictures from the tour with michael and the boys and it's been a load of fun to see what she's putting out there yeah no some great photos i think we just saw one of michael stepping onto a plane as well so it's cool the x tour i mean the costumes on the x tour were just fantastic weren't they They were they were especially they were really really good especially the stripy trousers especially the stripy trousers (laughs) (laughs) yes and the splash of red and and timmy's bee costume (laughs) i like that one especially especially also on instagram I've got talking to a guy called Mark Forbes. Hello to Mark. Um, met him through um, Curious Films 1. Now, Curious Films 1 are the producers of the new doco that hopefully everyone's watching right now, um, which is streaming on lots of platforms and was on um, the UK TV of Paula. Now, Mark is um, a, a film producer in his own right, and he is um, a friend of the producers of um, Curious Films. So, yeah, so um, I can't wait for to hear some feedback. I, I saw that um, Terence Trent Darby has also been um, interviewed for that too. So be interesting to hear what um, everyone's going to be saying about this yes. uh, this documentary. Yes. How about you, Danielle? You, you eager to watch it? I am, I am. I'm hoping at some point it will be available in the states for us to watch because honestly before michael hutchins um you know not a lot of people in the states knew really who paula gates was so um until we you know got to know her through michael so it'd be interesting and i'm curious to see 
people in her life talk about her hopefully in positive light um but, huh? and yeah just just curious and interested to see her whole entire story because i really don't know it that well yeah yeah i do know quite a lot what happened in that bedroom when paula passed away i just want to clarify that um yes heroin was involved and Paula wasn't injecting heroin, just in case everybody just thinks that's what's happening. And there was another person involved. It's a bit narky around that. So, yeah. So, but going going back to her life, you know, she did have a bit of a different upbringing with um, two celebrity parents and one of them wasn't even a real father. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to hear what people come out saying about this documentary afterwards. Another person on Instagram <laughs> that I follow and everyone hears me talk about is Keith Lemon, who's Francis. Um, Keith Lemon is his um, stage name. And he was live on um, Instagram yesterday and I just happened to be watching him and all of a sudden, <laughs> In front of 600, 900 um, people watching him, he said, I would love to go onto the In Excess Access All Areas podcast. Well, I nearly fell off my chair. I only said hi. So um, hello to Keith and um, Francis. And thank you for the big mention. And yes, you better get on here. I think it'll be an absolute crack up having you on. I love your accent and uh, it'll be fun. Come on, Keith. <laughs> Come on, Keith. Come on, Keith. So um, I want to go on to the prize that um, Chris Cafaro has donated to the podcast, which is that, oh my God, the gorgeous photo of Michael. And he's made it into a print and he's given us to give away to a um, person who can give us the best review. Well, I've chosen one and she has given us uber amount of um, reviews she's not only given us reviews on the website she's given us reviews on facebook and she's quite um prolific in um sending messages to us um on um, facebook via messenger and it's sula so congratulations to sula you are such a worthy winner and thank you everybody else that have put um lots of reviews onto our website which we asked for so it all helps it all helps for everybody else to read and to know um, what the um, the podcast is all about. Well, congratulations, Sula. We appreciate everything that you do for us. Did you notice the post that we put out today um, of the um, childhood home of Michael? I think he was there just before he went to um, Hong Kong. So he was he was born there. I heard that it was his um, grandparents' house. So it was Cal's um, mum and dad's house. And um, that's where Michael was born. And it is now up for sale for over a call four million. Yes. If I were to win the lottery this week, you guys would know what I would be purchasing and where I would be moving. <laughs> and it is gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah. Well, it's a rebuild. They've rebuilt it, haven't they? Sad, sadly, I think it was sort of like 1920s um, cottage, sort of very old art deco. Um, but I don't know about you, but when I looked at it, it still had sort of the fingerprints of the windows, the, of the old style and the colours. And then when I looked 
at the photographs of the villa that Michael used to rent over in, in France. It had that print to it too. There was sort of like an amalgamation of the two buildings. I wonder if the designer of the new building had looked at both. What do you think? I don't know, but now that you mention it, I can absolutely see that. It did have kind of that villa feel to it. So let's just pretend that someone took the childhood home of Michael and his his villa in the south of France and just decided to mesh the two together and behold the the beautiful home that is there now with the with the swimming yeah. pool. So any person yeah. to purchase that home, they're gonna have some history in that home that is unbelievable, probably. Lucky people. Exactly. Yet again. If I were to win the lotto this week, you know what I'd be purchasing. <laughs> <laughs> well, make sure you got a guest bedroom. <laughs> Absolutely. I would love to say a big thank you to all the extra followers we've been getting on Pinterest. So thank you guys. We've got lots of people, lots of responses. So you guys are loving the pictures that we're putting up. So I do appreciate that. And as of today, we have about 11 tickets sold for the new prize coming up. So guys better get those raffle tickets in pretty low isn't it 11 uh-huh. so that's a good chance of actually getting um that uh, tour book my goodness and hayden and i will talk more about that in the wrap okay well it's uh it's been an absolute pleasure i love um speaking to you every week danielle <clears throat> we have a lot of laughs um before we actually go to air too so it's good fun it's lovely to have a girlfriend on the show so thank you so much you are welcome darling b referencing georgia gabor and um, we'll talk more about her next week i'm sure <laughs> okay it's a goodbye for me and it's a goodbye from b <laughs> bye, bye. <laughs> And this is Manny from the UK. This is Lisa Mack from Brisbane, Australia. And this is Felicia from Everett, Washington, USA. And that's a wrap. Well, that's a wrap. Uh, chunky episode today. Uh, thank you again to Mike coming on. And can't wait for the part two next week. Yeah, I guess going into uh, our wrap section B, we have a raffle going at the moment. Thank you to everybody who's been contributing. Uh, what's the prize again for the D winner? Okay, the prize was um, given to us by Tim Farris when he moved from his farm and he found a heap of stuff that he sent to me and this was one of them. And it is the tour um, guide from the Don't Lose Your Your Head tour that never happened. I found out that they were actually supposed to have been burnt, a lot of them, um, and they didn't. Well, because of the reference with Head and Michael and blah, 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 Uh Um, and it was a bit too damaging and whatever so they just wanted to burn them this is what I've heard so there were only a few few left over and you know these were in um, Tim's lockup and then I've been holding on to them I mean we did raffle a few uh, not raffle we did um, auction a few out and I sent it back to Tim and Tim and Kirk have signed this copy for us so this is uber uber rare and uber uber precious Um, we'll just say that um, the last one went at over $600 and yeah and we're going on until the end of March. How much a ticket be? $20. That will include your um, packaging and postage as well. On saying that, 
as we speak, I can I've, I've been tracking the prize from last time going to Al's Dennis all the way over in um, in uh, Europe, and that's on a plane at the moment. It got booked and it's on a plane, <laughs> and that's express. Gee, it sounds, it sounds like it's going first class yeah, all the way it, over to Europe. But <laughs> it was heavy. Cost us quite a few hundreds of dollars to send it. Well, speaking of people who uh, have probably been a large part of that raffle contribution, uh, we're going to go to our patrons. So uh, if you aren't a patron yet, become one. If you're not a patron and you don't want to be one, buy a raffle ticket. <laughs> By the way, the patrons are our lifeblood. Over to you, B. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Hello to our honorary members, Tim Farris, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Richard Simpkin, Cameron Adams, Mary Woods, Darren Jones and Paul Jolie, patrons, Carmen, Laurie, Carrie-Anne, happy birthday, Danielle, Sarah Markram, happy birthday, Sarah Camia, Dr. Jim, Katie, Lisa Mack, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Susan B, Foxy, Pedro, Mandy, Lisa, Linda, Yvonne, happy birthday, Amanda H, Amanda V, David Gaunt, Tracy, hello, happy birthday, Paul Buckley, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Val, Jim, Matey, Kelly, Jackie, Sean, Sheila, Shannon, Helen, happy birthday, Helen, my girlfriend, um, Brett, Suzanne, Laurel, Bard, Genevieve, Shelby, Manny, Laurie, Jill, Yari, Laos, Heidi, Paula, Lisa Urban, Angie, Nancy, Juliet, happy birthday, Juliet, Scott, Anthea, Maria, Nicole, Tracy, Darren, Vernon, Jamie, Diana, Stefan, Andrew, Georgie, Stephen, Keisha, Mark, Vern, Shane. Happy birthday, Shane. Lachlan, Mandy, Rachel, Nick, Sula, Amy, Diana, Paul. And our special mentions to our gorgeous Sue D, Joe Robbins, John A. Vink, Michael Spriggs, Glenn Davis, Paul Boozy, and Jay Finlayson. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for everything that you do support us. Um, it's just amazing that you um, believe in us and want us to continue. This new um, format that we've got, we've been getting a lot of feedback and people are enjoying it now. So um, I'm glad you are enjoying it and you're staying with us to the very end. Okay. All right, B, we're going to get up that tribute song today and uh, throughout the two episodes, you will sense and hear that Mike had two particular songs that he really loved off the album that still stand up for him. We do know, B, we uh, dedicated a song the other week to your dad, which was, uh, I think, Everything, uh, which is exciting. And then we did one last week, which is We Are Thrown Together, which was the song that uh, I think both of us really loved. Uh, but we're going to go with one of Mike's songs today, and it's the opening track of the album. He loves the production, and obviously, and he loves the sort of the, the journey of the song, as we do both. And I made our uh, Spotify deep dive list that I saw you posted out this week. So we're going to go with Show Me Cherry Baby uh, as our tribute song to Mike, and uh, we'll have another one up our sleeve next week as well. But uh, it's a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from B. See you next week. Mm-hmm. 
Hey Carrie Ann, it's Tim Farris. On behalf of all the band, I just wanted to wish you a very, very happy birthday. Hope it's a good one. This is the Dutchie, and you've been listening to In Access, Access All Areas with Hayden and Bean.